0: Thank you, Gay, for that. What a great reminder. He is our vision. He is to be our vision. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we come around God's word that he would be our wisdom as well this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thankfully, there is no power failure with you. And you are always at work. And you are powerfully at work. And you never stop working. You're constantly changing us from the inside out. And you are in the business of transforming us that we're more like your son, Jesus Christ. So may your power be very evident this morning as we look at your word, that our eyes, that our vision would be on what it is that you see. Guide us into your truth for our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are given a situation. What you are determines what you see. What you see determines what you do. A story has been told of how several centuries ago the Pope decided that all the Jews had to leave Rome. Rome. There was a great uproar from the Jewish community. The Pope made a deal that he would have a religious debate with any member of the Jewish community. And the outcome of the debate would determine the fate of the Jews. Well, the Jewish leaders were agonizing over selecting the wisest person for the debate when an old man who had spent his life as a floor sweeper came forward to represent the Jewish people at the debates. Well, they reluctantly agreed. The old man was a man of few words, so he made this one request to the Pope, that on the day of the debate, neither of them would say a word. The Pope agreed, and the day of the great debate finally came. The old man and the Pope sat opposite each other for several minutes, and finally the Pope raised his hand and showed three fingers. The old man looked back at him and raised one finger. The Pope then waved his fingers in a circle around his head, The old man responded by pointing to the grounds. The Pope then pulled out a wafer and a glass of wine, and the old man pulled out an apple. The Pope then stood to his feet and said, I give up, this man's too good, the Jews can stay. Well, the cardinals gathered all around the Pope asking him what happened, and the Pope said, well, first I held up three fingers to represent the trinity. He responded by holding up one finger to remind me that there was still one common God. Then I waved my fingers to show that God was all around us. He responded by pointing to the ground, showing that God was also right here with us. I then pulled out the wafer and the wine to show that God absolves us from our sins. He pulled out an apple to remind me of original sin. He had an answer for everything. Meanwhile, in the Jewish community, they were all gathered around the old man to get his take on what happened. Well, said the old man, first he said the Jews had three days to leave. I told him that one of us was leaving. <laughs> then he told me this whole city would be cleared of Jews. I let him know we were staying right here. And then asked a woman, I don't know, said the old man. He took out his lunch and I took out mine. <laughs> Our perception is everything. Our perception is everything. Perception is our interpretation of the events in life. As Haddon Robinson said, you are given a situation. What you are determines what you see. What you see determines what you do. The person we become is largely dependent on how we view the things dealt to us in life. That's why we need a proper filtering system. I agree with Chuck Swindoll who said, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. Well, we have been making our way through the book of Ecclesiastes to get a better handle on living for what really matters in life. And as we saw last time, as we come to chapter 7 of the book of Ecclesiastes, it starts to take a slight turn in its style of writing. There's an obvious change in emphasis as the word wisdom begins to show up more frequently from chapter 7 and beyond. The word wisdom appears over 30 times from this point forward. And as I noted last time, what matters as we make our way through this life is gaining the perspective of wisdom. What matters is a filtering system that properly interprets events. Last time, we looked at the value of wisdom when troubles hit. And while we may wish at times we could skip the bad times and fast forward to the good times, the best way out of our pain is always through. Wisdom allows us to make it through those troubling times and come out wiser for it. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who said, I don't think much of a man who is not wiser today than he was yesterday. Well, this morning's passage takes wisdom, again, this is part two. It speaks to the tensions that we face in life. We begin where we left off last time in Proverbs chapter 7. and I want to reread the verses that we closed with two weeks ago. And so follow along as I read chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I really appreciate what Cliff said regarding verse 13 here. These five words. Ecclesiastes 7, turn with me there, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13, consider what God has done, who can straighten out what he's made crooked. When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. What does it boil down to as we encounter the good and the bad of life, acceptance or despair? That's what it boils down to. We either handle these tensions in life with the wisdom God provides or we will demand explanations. We will lean on our own ability to understand and perhaps even leave the faith, acceptance or despair. And Solomon then gives several proverbs in this section dealing with the tensions we feel in life. So I want to give you three tensions and then along with those, three provisions of wisdom. Three provisions of wisdom. Tension number one, the injustices in life. The injustices in life. Follow along as I read verse 15. And in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness, and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Now the great tension in these verses is the tension we all feel. When doing good doesn't seem to matter. We often figure that we do A and B ought to happen. It's linear thinking. We make plans that don't come about. We do what is right and aren't rewarded for it. We come clean on a sin and things get worse. We work hard, and there's little to show for it. We pray for healing, and healing doesn't come. We pray for relief from our problems, and we encounter more problems. We pray for our spouse to return, and our spouse doesn't come back. So we get up earlier to pray. We read the Bible more. We show our face at church more often. We serve someone else for a change. We jump in and help with a need. We swear and drink less. We buy our wife flowers, we put more in the offering plate, and life doesn't seem to improve. Listen, righteousness can't always protect us from adversity. Adversity is no sure sign of God's displeasure. On the other hand, and contrary to the message coming from many pulpits, Prosperity is no sure indication of God's pleasure and approval. The passage goes on, verse 16. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Now, this is not suggesting that we ought to be wishy-washy or or mediocre or try to find this middle-of-the-road approach to spirituality. Spirituality. Like being, you know, I'm going to be sort of spiritual. There's no, there's no kind of holy any more than you can be kind of pregnant. <laughs> so what is Solomon saying here? Well, when verse 16 instructs us not to be over-righteous, he is saying, don't be super pious. Don't flaunt your spirituality. Don't be more spiritual than Jesus. This is religion gone to seed. And this kind of person, folks, is not fun to be around. This kind of person has an answer for everything. They answer everyone's questions. They even answer questions no one is asking, if you know what I mean. A pastor was seeking to comfort a widow who just lost her husband. The pastor was giving all his seminary textbook explanations of how and why God might have let this happen. The woman then replied sternly yet lovingly, Pastor, I don't need a God like that. I don't need to understand all this. What I need is a God who is bigger than my mind. Yes. Are you the type of person that that has these boxes of black and white, and everything fits so neatly into them? Are you the type of person that has everything all figured out? Do everyone a favor. Lighten up a bit. (laughs) Put wisdom to work, and you just might become a little easier to live with. Well, what keeps us from going off the deep end and facing life's anomalies? Well, verse 18 is key to understanding this section in Ecclesiastes. Verse 18 says, It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Or could be translated, the man who fears God will follow them both. What is that saying? Well, when it comes to the injustices of life, it's a subtle mistake to overreact. Really, as, as believers, there's a mistake to overreact. Kind of, someone said the only time we're balanced is when we pass, pass through one extreme to the other. Huh, that's the only time. See, don't, don't be too smug in your righteousness, figuring that life is going well for you right now, because you are this holy person who has found God's favor. Don't go to the other extreme of indulging yourself in sin, figuring it's all the same to God's. Watch out for extremes. C.S. Lewis so aptly put it, heresy is the truth taken too far. Isn't that where many sects and, and, and cults go off the deep end? They, they move outside of biblical tension. It's a favorite quote of mine by Robinson McQuilkin. He said this It is easier to go to a consistent extreme than to live in the center of biblical tension. It is. It's hard living here. I'd rather go to an extreme. No, live in the center of biblical tension. You see, tension is actually good for us. What we need is wisdom. Wisdom provides us with balance to handle life with greater stability. It gives us objectivity. Put wisdom to work by avoiding the extremes, by not overreacting when we see injustices. And so you may ask, well, what's the point of living right? Well, because it is right. I mean, do we do what is right because it's right? Or because we hope in doing so, it obliges God to bless us. Now don't get me wrong, Scripture is clear that we reap what we sow. If we sow to please our sinful nature, Galatians 6 reminds us, from that nature we'll reap destruction. We just need to be asking along the way, is this right? Not, will it pay? That's just convenience. Who wouldn't go for that bargain? Wisdom provides us with balance. That's the first provision. Verse 19 speaks to another provision of wisdom in handling life's tension. It says, wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. You see, wisdom provides us with strength. Not only balance, strength. It takes strength to handle life's tensions. This inner strength cannot be matched, it says, by ten powerful and influential city officials. That leads us to the next tension, the necessity for inner strength. Tension number two, tension number two, interpersonal tensions, interpersonal tensions. See, not only do we need to ask, "Is this right?" rather than "Will it pay?" We need to also ask, "Is this right?" Not what will people say. Did you hear that? Is this right? Not what will people say. At least in this context. Follow along as I read verses twenty-one and twenty-two. It says, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. We should not pay attention, too much attention, to every word that others speak. Now you may recall from last time that we are to heed a rebuke. It says, A wise man's rebuke. Chapter 7, verse 5. We're to listen to that. We should be humble enough to learn from constructive criticism. But biting criticism is another matter. Don't get drawn into listening to it. You know the saying, when a mule kicks you, just consider the source. See, there are some who have the gift of criticism. There are some who find something wrong with everything. Wisdom provides us with strength to handle criticism well. And folks, I'm no different than you. I, too, can be hurt by criticism. If someone says enough bad things about me, you know what? I can start to believe it. Why? Because I'm my worst critic. One's criticism can simply verify what I tell myself anyway. But when we put wisdom to work, there is a filtering system that allows us to reject what is false, receive what is true, and handle it well. Now, let me speak to this matter for a moment. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't give credence to every rumor, story, and criticism you hear. I say it as strongly as possible. Don't. For a while, in our previous parsonage, we were not able to run the microwave, the toaster, and one other small kitchen appliance at the same time. If we did, a little switch would go click, and the power for that section of the house went out. And so I would go to the basement, of the uh, basement to the circuit breaker, and I would switch it back on. That device, that circuit breaker, is a, is a simple switch that interrupts the flow of, le- of electricity when the system overloads. Though it may be an annoyance, without those circuit breakers doing their job, overheated wires could cause fires. Every church needs circuit breakers. Not just those in the basement and around the building, but those who will prevent potential fires of gossip and criticism. How do we do that? Well, here's a good way. When someone shares with you a juicy morsel of gossip, ask this question. Ask, can I share this with the person you just named and ask, is it true? I guarantee you, you'll hear, click. Right? The rumor just might die right there. Can you imagine... If each one of us in this room decided to be circuit breakers and never be included again in the circuit of gossip, can you imagine? Putting wisdom to work means handling interpersonal tension by not listening to mean-spirited input. Put wisdom to work by avoiding it. And sadly, in many churches, interpersonal problems and dealing with criticism is so time-consuming, they aren't getting around to the real business at hand. Wisdom provides us with an inner strength to be a circuit breaker that stops a potential fire from breaking out and destroying the church. I would invite you to read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. It speaks about wisdom, down-to-earth wisdom. You'll be, you'll be very interested to see what it says. It's all about relationships. Tension number three. I need to go to tension number three. Insoluble perplexities of life. Insoluble perplexities of life. What does wisdom provide for us in these insoluble mysteries of life? What does it provide for us? Insights. Insights. And there are three particular insights wisdom provides for us in this passage. I'm going to go through this quickly. First of all, the first insight that wisdom gives us in this context of tensions, of the mysteries of life, the first insight is we cannot make ourselves wise no matter how hard we try. We cannot make ourselves wise no matter how we try. Verse 23, and all this I tested by wisdom and I said I am determined to be wise, but this is beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? I mean, we we try to find the reasons for why this incident is happening, but we keep coming up empty. Insight tells us, release those exceedingly deep things to God rather than obsess on trying to find out the reason why. We get stuck there. On this side of heaven, some things just won't make sense. They go in my file called Things I Don't Understand. It's a big file. That's the first insight. We're not going to make ourselves wise, we're not going to figure it out. Second insight about the unexplainable things in life is that don't let it drive you into the arms of an illusion. Don't let it drive you into the arms of an illusion. Verse 25. So I turn my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Words of wisdom says stay clear of illicit relationships. It's only an illusion. The filtering system that wisdom provides is that promised joy and lasting satisfaction on the other side of the fence, it's not real. Listen again to these words, verse 26. Let it sink in. I find more bitter than death the woman who's a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. Life may not be making a whole lot of sense to you right now, the pressures of life may seem more than you can handle. An escape may be very appealing, but that is a snare, that is a trap, that is a chain. It will keep, put you in bondage. Don't let the perplexities of life drive you into the arms of an illusion. Stay away. See it for what it is. That's wisdom. Third insight says and we try to make life work on our own, we make a mess of it. (laughs) The third insight that we have from this passage that wisdom gives us is that when we try to make life work on our own, we just make a mess of it. Follow along as I read verse 27 and 29, through 29. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. Uh Uh-oh. This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Let's just skip this section. No. (laughs) What is Solomon getting at here? Did he just say that that while a wise man is exceedingly rare, one in a thousand, he's yet to find this tiny percentage among women? Did he just say that? Uh Uh-oh. Well, perhaps Solomon's just venting his own frustration over not finding what he's been after in his own experiences with hundreds of wives and concubines. Maybe. I think it's really a matter of understanding the nature of Proverbs and Old Testament poetry. Ancient ancient poetry rhymed ideas, not sounds. Sounds. Parallelism is often used method for rhyming ideas. Shows up all the time for the book of Proverbs. At times, this rhyming of ideas will take place through contrasting thoughts. The second contrasts with the first. At times, the rhyming of ideas is by way of the second line restating the first line for emphasis. as the same thing. It's a synonym. It's just saying it another way. In this case... The second line gives the climax to the first line to drive home the point. What is the point? Righteous people are not only scarce, they are non-existent. And he uses parallelism to get that point across. You see, our basic problems are not above us, they are within us. There was this clock in a little church somewhere, I heard, in upstate New York, I'm not sure where it is, that would never keep accurate time. Not this one. That would never keep accurate time. So the pastor put a sign under the clock which read, don't blame the hands, the trouble lies deeper. That's true. With us. Don't blame all these behaviors, the trouble lies deeper. There's none righteous. The first couple, Adam and Eve, were created blameless and without sin. We might even call it untested innocence. It isn't until chapter 3 of Genesis that we discover mankind trying to make life work on their own. They stepped outside of God's boundaries, buying the lie that God was holding out on them. And by attempting to be wise in their own eyes, they rejected God's way and came up with what they thought was a better plan. The sinfulness of mankind was our devising and not God's. All mankind. Men, women, all mankind. That's what he's talking about. A mom and a dad were talking to their son, their little boy, about the wonderful things God has made. And throughout the day, they would ask him questions like, who made the sun? Who made the beautiful flowers? Who made the rainbow in the sky? Always bringing it back to God. One evening, the mom looked at all the toys scattered on the floor and asked, who made this mess? (laughs) And without missing a beat, he said, God did. (laughs) You know, we've made the mess. Not God. Not God. We want to blame them. It's not God. We made the mess. Because we cannot understand God's ways, we come up with our own schemes for making life work and making sense of life. How's that working for us? We make a mess of it. There's a better way. Walk in God's wisdom. Wisdom is our filtering system that helps us properly interpret events and life's tensions. Wisdom gives us insight that allows us to live with what we can't understand. It's acceptance or despair. Do you have a filtering system that's able to separate truth from error because you're in God's word, you're saturating yourself with God's word, that's your filtering system. That's where you gain wisdom. Are you putting wisdom to work? What is the result of putting wisdom to work? Look at chapter eight, verse one. I'm landing the plane here. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Only a wise person can size up situations properly and then act accordingly. When people, when we put wisdom to work, it will show it on our face. How's that kid's song go? If you're happy and you know it, then your face should really show it. How are we doing there? Frankly, believers, we can sometimes be a grim-looking bunch. I'm guilty. You see me this past week. We can even sometimes hear the squeaks when we blink. (laughs) I remember a professor telling his student preachers that when preaching about heaven, their face should glow radiantly and with a big smile. And when they preach about hell, well, their everyday face will do. (laughs) It's been said a person's face is the signature of his soul. What can be seen on your face? Perhaps it's revealing something. Perhaps it's an indication that we're operating in our own strength and our own wisdom. Boy, I was doing that. But when a person finds God's wisdom and puts that wisdom to work, his his face will light up. I'm not talking about a plastic smile you constantly wear, but I am speaking about lives that are radiant, dispositions that reflect that our God is in control. Someone says, joy is the flag over the castle of our hearts that says the king is in residence today. Are you putting God's wisdom to work? Are you handling life's tensions properly? We just might see it on your face. You might see it on mine. It's a true story of Leonardo da Vinci. Apparently he was having difficulty finding models for the faces of Jesus And the face face of Jesus and also the face of Judas when he was paying the Last Supper. Well, he finally found what he considered a a right face for Jesus. It was was just glowing. Well, years later, the only face he had left to paint was that of Judas. One day, while walking the slums of his city, he found a man with a face filled with hate, lined deeply with the struggles of life. The artist had never seen a sadder, more troubled man. He said, You're the guy. And the man sat for the painting, and when da Vinci was finished, he asked the man his name. The man answered, don't you remember me? Several years ago, you used my face as the face of Christ. Hmm. His face changed. Why? Because his reactions to life had changed. What is your face revealing? How can our faces be radiant in dealing with life's tensions? Because we know the one who sees the whole picture... Because we know the God who has it all under control. Wisdom can brighten our face by giving us balance, strength, and insights. You're given a situation. What you are determines what you see. What you see determines what you do. Let's pray.